Why, hello, it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Jeremy and Samantha of the duo Marion Hill over Zoom video. Jeremy and Samantha both grew up in Philly, born and raised. They actually went to the same middle school, high school together, and after college is when they linked back up and started Marion Hill and started writing songs together. They were both in each other's choir classes and musical theater classes. They were both incredibly smart. Jeremy went to Yale. Samantha went to NYU. And they were both working on music kind of parallel with each other. It wasn't until Jeremy wrote uh, a beat for a song which became Whiskey, and the two of them put it out on Hype Machine, reached out to some blogs, they put it out on Hype Machine, and it just went nuts. From there, it got some radio play, so we talk about that. Attracting the eyes of Republic Records, signing that deal, the success of the song Down. They talk about the highlights of Act One, scoring the platinum record for Down, their second LP, Unusual, releasing an EP days after the world shut down with Was It Not. They put that out mid-March 2020. So no real way to really support that record, but they've been writing music throughout the pandemic and they have a new album coming out in April. So they tell us all about that with the latest single being Little Bit. You can watch our interview with Marion Hill on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. Be rad if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Music, we'd love it if you hooked us up with a five-star review. That would mean so much to us. Uh, follow us there as well. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Marion Hill. And this podcast is about the both of you and your journey in music. And we'll talk, obviously, about the new music and how you guys started Marion Hill. Awesome. All of that fun stuff. Sounds great. Cool, cool. Uh, well, let, let's start uh, with you, Samantha. Where were you born and raised? Philly. Philly, okay. <laughs> yes. both you, were you both born and raised in Philly? We were. Yeah, we, met in, we met yeah. in middle school. Sorry, wow. we met in middle school. So we grew up together. Okay, okay. Well, how did... Wow, that's awesome. That's really yeah. awesome. We go way back. Yeah. So, Samantha, we're you know, born, born in Philly, but we're... How did you get into music? You guys obviously grew up in the same town if you're going to the same middle school, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. So how did you get into music? Oh, gosh. I was always singing. That was really my thing. I, as, It sounds cliche, but really as early as I can remember, I think I did a talent show in first grade um, and my parents were like, oh, you can sing. So maybe you should take some other lessons and and we should, you know, cultivate this. And um, And then I guess... I've really started taking it seriously in high school. I think is when I thought that I could really pursue music professionally and, you know, kind of the same thing, took lessons all throughout and started writing music and Jeremy and I teamed up um, in college, Okay, little, mostly after, but started writing a little bit together in college. But you knew each other in middle school and through high school. Yeah. Were you friends or you're just like, Oh, I, I know you went to my school. Yeah. yeah. We were friends. Yeah, oh, we were wow. in all the same activities. We were in choir together and musicals. Um, so yeah, all the same musical activities, really. Oh, that's awesome. And what about <laughs> writing songs? You said you started writing songs, Samantha, in, in high school? Yeah, they were terrible. <laughs> but I did, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I started to explore my feelings. <laughs> got it, got it. And you, yeah. you, I see some guitars behind you. you yeah, that, I don't know why. That really makes it look like I play, but I don't. 
<laughs> okay. Were you just you right? <laughs> Were you writing on guitar at that age? A little bit. Okay. But again, it was, I knew like four chords. It was pretty. That's all you need, right? What is it? Yeah, four chords in the truth, three chords in the truth. Yeah, she's, exactly. She's selling herself short. You can do a lot with a few chords. She can right. play much better guitar than probably the majority of people, I would say. Well, well, that's, awesome. well, that's, that's very kind. <laughs> I mean, the majority of people can't play guitar. So, I mean, it's, yeah, that's, okay. a, that's a great <laughs> one. I mean, guitar players. <laughs> like, play stuff, like, I did not play. say, I did not say majority of guitar players. I said majority of people. Yeah. Okay. Majority okay. of people. I like that. Did like, you guys oh. play music? You said you're in the same classes, but did you play music? When you started writing songs, Samantha, were you guys teamed up at this point to work on music together or no? No. We okay. think in in middle school and high school, it was mostly we would like talk about songwriting together because we were some of the only people we knew doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I always feel like you have to. My experience was you have to like get comfortable enough songwriting on your own first to be able mm-hmm. to really have a productive, collaborative songwriting process with somebody where you're not doubting all your ideas. Um, yeah. So I think for both of us, we were kind of like growing as songwriters in parallel for a while. And then when we kind of gotten it together, we were like, all right, let's try making some stuff together. Yeah. And we had a mutual appreciation and we're listening to um, not, you know, not completely the same, but we had a lot of um, musical overlaps in terms of artists we listened to at the time. And um, so that was really nice to have someone to talk to about Mm -hmm. that. For sure. For (laughs) sure. And what about you, Jeremy? You were you born in Philly as well? Yep, Philly suburbs. Um, my dad was the choir director at Haverford and Bridmore Colleges for a, a long time. He just retired a few years ago. And so I grew up around there and grew up in a house where there was always music going on. Um, mm-hmm. I think when I was four, I asked my parents to learn violin. Um, and so I started violin lessons when I was four and a half. Wow. Um, piano when I was like 10. I think I, I was singing at some point. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, I think that was probably earlier, really, but it's that's less of a thing that is like tracked by private lessons in terms of like when you start. Mm-hmm. Um, but I sang in, in choirs for pretty much all my life until I was like 22 um, and was playing piano. And I started writing music because my dad uh, had Sibelius for his job, which is music notation software. And I would like play around on his computer um, with my friends and I was like notating Dr. Dre beats. Um, and I, I always joke that the first beat I ever made was in Sibelius and it has like a terrible MIDI library and it sounded absolutely atrocious, but that was the first way in which I was able to like use a computer to write music and make it, you know, happen. Mm-hmm. What treated to, to violin at four, do you remember? Not really. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if you saw it on TV and you're like, oh, I need to get a violin. I don't know. Yeah, grandma I, I, played I, I, it or I, something. I'd have to ask them. I don't think none of them played it. I certainly was exposed to it. I'm sure they had some types of like orchestra books or or something where I like knew what the instruments were and something attracted me to that one. Mm-hmm. That's pretty impressive though to be four and a half. I have a five year old and he. He's just learning. He's I put him on drums because he was smashing everything during COVID. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. electric drum kit. Here you go. And we finally were yeah. able to get him lessons now that we, we you know, here in Nashville. 
And but he's really interested in piano, too. So and he's five. And I'm like, oh, I tried to, like, go find a piano teacher for a five year old. Nobody was really willing to do it, which is weird. (laughs) But yeah, I I found a drum teacher. (laughs) (laughs) For some reason, violin often starts younger. I will say as a parent of a violin player, it sounds like the sounds they are making will be horrible for probably at least a year. Okay. There's some serious like sawing away going on and it can, and also, I mean, just like the size of instrument they're playing on just can't sound that good, even at its best. Cause it's like this teensy little violin. Oh, um, sure. But, sure. But they say, and I, I guess I found this to be true. They say that it's really good for your sense of pitch to learn at a young age, an instrument without frets. So on a violin, instrument. like if you, you have to calibrate how in tune you are by just like minute movements of your finger. Um, huh. as opposed to like piano or guitar, where if your instrument's in tune, you're generally playing in tune and it's more about remembering chords and stuff. But I always, I, and went on to sing quite a lot and was always like, had like a really good innate sense of like, is this in tune or not? And I think I owe some of that to, to violin at a young age. That's very interesting. I didn't know. I didn't think about that at all. Like having, yeah, because you're, you're, there's not a fret that you're exactly pushing down. Like, okay, if I put my exactly. finger here and here, it's going to play this chord. They start you sometimes with little stickers that you're supposed to try to hit, but like it's, 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 you have to be a lot more precise. Um, mm-hmm. And you're really like thinking about, is this the right exact pitch instead of like, is this the right key? Sure. Wow. Wow. Um, and you guys were both writing songs like parallel, you said. And when did you, did you ever show each other or, or were you playing open yeah, mic I nights think, together? I think by the like end that? of high school, we'd played some open mic nights together. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I taught myself guitar late in high school because my mom had one and I just like picked it up and tried to learn some from lead sheets um, so that I could write songs. and was kind of doing that on guitar and piano. I loved Ben Folds a lot in high school. So that was oh, like yeah. a big, you know got me like oh well i'm not that good at guitar but i can play piano let me see what i can do here sure. um, but yeah like sam you know none of the stuff i made in high school was stuff that i proudly share now but it was very important <laughs> do you have it of. somewhere like on a cd or anything yeah i mean my in my my last year in high school i had like saved up money from singing in church choirs to buy a little production rig and i had a and box two and pro tools and reason 3.5 um, wow. and made made a little album that i put up on itunes um that was pretty cute and silly and just like me and guitar and piano for the most part and like multi-tracking my vocals but it's nowhere to be found now but i have it um and i also i did like a choral piece at that time and i had a little band that did some songs and all of them were great learning experiences. For sure. What about you, Samantha? Do you have any of those old songs recorded anywhere? Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually remember like, because I was, before Marion Hill happened, I was pursuing my own little solo project and mm-hmm. they were up on iTunes and I actively took them down. <laughs> I tried to bury any trace of those, but yeah, they're, if you look hard enough, they're probably around. You got to do some digging. You can find them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, awesome. <laughs> you both went to i mean obviously you're both extremely smart yale and uh, nyu like t- tell me about that did you go for some music yeah i'll start i guess i yeah i went to nyu i went for music business which okay. really is 
I mean, to each their own, but personally, I think music business is really only something you can learn by being in the field <laughs> and actually doing it and living your life. Um, I just didn't, and I kind of kicked myself actually, because I wish I'd studied more music. Um, I hated music theory. I hated studying it. And I really wanted it to always remain a passion. Mm -hmm. I never wanted to sort of, you know, I never wanted it to feel like a chore. Um, so I studied music business. <laughs> that was my backup plan. Yeah. Well, I but, think um, music business, that makes sense that it's con it's constantly evolving, right? I mean, it's yeah. the whole industry has even changed over the past three or four years. Yeah. Well, it's so funny. I was actually cleaning out because I'm in my uh, family's house and I was like cleaning out a lot of things. And I found my old music business textbooks. And my dad was like, well, why would you throw those away? And I was like, dad, these have been outdated for like 10 years. I was like, right. literally like none of this is relevant anymore. <laughs> So that's great. Yeah. It's like, yeah, why it's would crazy. it's like having CDs? Like, why would you keep these? You could just, yeah. your phone can hold every record or CD you probably ever owned. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, so, yeah, that's yeah. interesting how, how quickly it does evolve. And, and, and with that, it's yeah. Yeah, very, very interesting. And yeah. then uh, you, Jeremy, you went to Yale. Did I read that correctly? Yes. Um, and I, I studied theater there because it was a much, um, friendlier major than music. Uh, the music major at Yale is still like very old school and you had to take like all these prereqs and like all this like music history that was pretty much all Western music. And I realized that I could do the theater major and take all the music classes I would want to take. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's pretty much what I did. I took a lot of, they had a great musical theater songwriting program there, which I loved, which the best thing about it was that it was like a song a week type of class. There'd be like five or six other students in the class. And every week you'd come in with something, you'd share it with everybody, you'd get feedback, and then you'd do it again the next week. And I think that got me in a really good rhythm. And I kind of got addicted to finishing stuff, which mm -hmm. has served me for the rest of my career. I just love getting a song done so that I can show it to people. Sure. Um, and yeah, I near the end, like my senior project was writing a musical. And for a while there, like writing musical theater was the path I was doing because it was the path that was most accessible there and that I was able to like find some traction in. I mm -hmm. always say with Yale, like I came into Yale being like thinking I was a very good actor, singer, composer, and writer. And when you get there, you realize there are people better than you at pretty much everything. Um, and so it becomes this like four year thing of like, all right, well, like, what about me is special? Like, what about me can still stand out amongst these like taller trees and writing music was it. Um, I really was able to like dig into that and realize that that was a place where I could still distinguish myself. Um, there's great funding for doing your own shows there. So I was able to put up like two musicals that I wrote myself. And that was like a really valuable experience in like writing a thing, finishing a thing, making it happen with a team of people. Um, and then near the end of my time there, I had, I took a, a gap year where I was in the Whiff and Poofs, which are uh, an acapella group at Yale that's all senior and we tour the world. So most of them take the year off to come back. Oh, wow. Classes the following year. But during that, I was like, man, how am I going to keep writing music? Like, it won't be the same. So I decided I'd been 
kind of producing in reason for fun when I had free moments over those years. And that became a lot more of a, I got like a tiny little keyboard. And every time I was on a long flight or a long bus ride, or just wherever I was traveling, I would be making beats. And I really pushed myself to get better at production during that year. And the following year, it was hype machine time. So many oh. new artists were breaking. I was following sure. it like crazy. And I decided, you know, I was about to graduate. Let me try making some, some music with my friends and submitting it to blogs on there that I like. Um, and I put together a big list and wrote all these personal emails and did a song with Sam, who was the best singer I knew at the time, and a song with my friend um, at college. Um, put them both out about a month apart and the one with Sam really took off. And then summer after graduation, we were writing more songs and figuring out a live show and kind of took off from there. Wow. So were you guys staying in contact throughout your college career and, or was it like, hey, I know Sam is good. I'm going to call her up and see if she's willing to sing on this song. We would over like spring break, Thanksgiving break, generally when we'd catch up, it would be like showing each other stuff we're working on or trying to write together. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I was getting more into producing, we were doing more of like writing to those and whiskey. We kind of just stumbled into. It was a beat that I didn't think of to play for Sam, but just had. And she started singing something over it and we I think both realized it was something really unique. Mm -hmm. And so you put them up on, you put that up on high machine and it just started to go off kind of. Yeah, yeah. I, I targeted a bunch of blogs that had posted music like ours. And at the time there were literally hundreds of blogs that if like any three or four of them posted about you, you could start getting some real traction and people would start paying attention. And we were really lucky in that, that people did. And within a few days, uh, one of the blogs I'd emailed was uh, WXPN's blog, which is a all radio station in Philly. Mm -hmm. um, and they were playing our song whiskey on the radio. Um, wow. And then we were getting emails from managers and publishers, and booking agents and labels, all asking for more songs. And at the time we had like half of another song. <laughs> so we really had to... <laughs> Get to writing um but it was it was a really cool time because the whole industry was just watching all of those independent blogs and you could really if you if you took the time to research and targeted people who you thought would appreciate what you were doing it felt like you could have a real shot mm -hmm. wow what was it like to have your guys song on the radio right away i mean not maybe not right away but to get it on your homes like a hometown station yeah it was awesome. I remember I was catering at the time and we got that email. And I think that was maybe the last gig I did. If it wasn't the last one, it was pretty close. I got that email. And I was like, My I quit. Right <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty exciting. And I was just, I, I like to tell this because I think it's funny and I'm glad that Jeremy, uh, pushed through because I actually didn't even want to release whiskey. <laughs> it's like, really? Yeah. I really loved it, but I, I just didn't really know what it was. I was overthinking it. And I was like, Jared, like, you're not going to release it. Like who's going to listen to this. And he's like, no, I really, I, I think it's great. I think we should. And, uh, I, I put up, I think I sat on it for a couple of weeks. I was like, well, I'm going to tune some vocals. I'm like, let's just polish it up. And Jeremy's like, okay. <laughs> and three weeks went by and I did nothing. And he's like, 
I'm going to email some blogs now. And I'm like, all right, well, <laughs> you know, worst case scenario, they hate it and right. you know, writes about it, I guess. So I'm wow. glad that, that uh, he was convinced otherwise. <laughs> sure. So once that happens and you start getting, you know, managers calling you and every, and all these eyes are on you, is that overwhelming? Like, are you thinking, how am I, how are we going to continue doing this? Or do you already have songs ready to go knowing like, oh, we, we, we've got this. Yeah. You definitely had to hunker down and write a lot. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I, I don't know if it was overwhelming. I would say, speaking personally, I think it was more exciting than overwhelming, but it, mm-hmm. it definitely changed things because we didn't necessarily do this to start out. We didn't want to become a band necessarily. This was like a fun project. And all of a sudden, I think um, we were looking at it very differently. And uh I think think we were lucky enough to be able to be in a position where we could be like, well, this feels cool. Let's see if people like it. And if there's enough demand for it, then we can really do the hard part of like committing to it and making lots of music and figuring out the band and really making it a full thing. But it was really nice to be able to have the luxury of trying at first and knowing that it would be well received. Like we were able to be like, people want us to play shows. People want us to want to hear more songs from us. They're like, we just have to write them. And I think there's some pressure with that, but I think at the time it was mostly exciting. And at a time when we were both like recently out of college and there's lots of like, what am I doing with my life? And like, is this the right path? Like, am I making enough money? Like, how should I set myself up for success? It helped a lot in making those decisions. Like, I think it would have been a lot harder if we were just like, we got to start grinding and like doing shows and putting out an album. And we don't know if people will care. Like we were mm-hmm. able to know that like when we do shows, people will care before mm-hmm. we, before really we had wild. done any of that. Yeah. It was such a unique time in the industry too. Mm-hmm. I think to be able to yeah. launch like that. Sure. And at that point when you were submitting the song to the blog, was it like, or were you going by Marion Hill at the time or was it like, here's a song for, okay. So you kind of had also idea. like, we threw I, the name together, you know, yeah. we, we yeah. were, we were like, we need something to put on this. Let's put together our character names from a musical we were in in middle school. Something that oh, that's sounds kind of cool. I always think it's so silly. I it came from names, but I thought Marion Hill sounded like some kind of like location or something, and just a vibe that's what of, I like, thought. Thank you. So many. <laughs> I thought people it was like uh, your middle school or something. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. many people just think it's like they'll be like, "Oh my God, Marion!" Um, and. It's it's funny. I can't even get mad at it anymore because I'm like, whatever. If you're a fan, you're a fan. But yeah, it, it's a. But to, to, to come back to your your question that started it, we made that name and sent it out with the music, and it was all kind of a test balloon. Like, let's see, and then it became like, yeah. oh, I, I think like a, definitely a few years later, we were like, huh, like Marion Hill is our whole professional identity. Like, <laughs> will you yeah. look at that? <laughs> it's really wild. Yeah, but it's definitely overwhelming, I guess, in the sense that we very quickly started to get a lot of questions and emails and offers. And just we realized that we very quickly had to build our team um, and figure out, you know, what that was going to look like and, um, you know, what sort of music next six months look like. Musically, we were writing a lot, but like we were, you know, it was a it was a year in which we didn't have the full luxury of just writing a lot like Sam was living at home I was living in New York and like 
doing various on the side jobs to like scrape by and like taking bolt buses home to write with Sam. Um, and we, we definitely also musically, it was a really interesting process of, I'm so grateful to whiskey because we like stumbled into that song and it was such a good blueprint for the music we wanted to make. And I always say too, for me as a producer, it was the best thing I'd ever made by a significant margin. And I had kind of just stumbled into that by accident. And Mm -hmm. I had to like hold myself to that standard afterwards. And that helped me really level up. But I think we had a few in the writing immediately after that really worked like love it. And one time, but we also got to a point where because it was so new and we were so thinking like, we've got to write it. So it sounds like Marion Hill. We got to a point where like everything was sounding a little too similar. Um, And I think we had this big crystallizing moment when we had then, I think we were probably at least six months into writing together Mm -hmm. regularly as our first priority thing that we were able to kind of have this breakthrough and realize when we started, it was an accident that we stumbled into. We didn't really know how to do it. And we wanted to make sure we replicated it in the six months after that. But once we'd been writing together for that long and started developing a flow and like a taste together and what we liked, we could kind of let go of it and like needing to be the sound and trust that if we were making it together, that it would sound like Marion Hill. And that's when Got It and Deep were written. And I okay. both really unlocked a lot of things for us. And cause I, I was using like the same instruments and drum sounds on everything. And we were writing like the same kind of melodies. And I think both of those songs really felt explosive and different. Um, and it opened up a lot of things for us. And since then, I think we've been able to have a lot more freedom, just making stuff that both of us love and waiting until it's done to look at a bunch of songs and be like, oh, maybe this one doesn't quite feel like us, but mm-hmm not letting that voice get into the writing process too much. Yeah. I could see that happening. I mean, you're like, well, it worked. So do we just keep kind of following the sound that we, we created on the one song that did really well? I think also people with, with TikTok and stuff, somebody gets a viral hit off TikTok. I would imagine it'd be hard not to be like, okay, I need to do this because that resonated with a bunch of people like to try to yeah. almost like go back and replicate what you had done. It's a real balance finding mm-hmm. like ways to continue the spirit of the thing that people really connected with while not just remaking the same thing because it just dilutes every time the more people get used to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you put out was play the first EP you did? Yeah. Yes. Okay. And that signed you. Did you sign to Republic on that first EP? Pretty, yeah. uh, well, we did that. We did that first EP. The biggest thing that happened with that first EP was a vine. Thank the vine gods. Oh, really? Yeah. There was a bunch of, I always joke that a bunch of young teens in 2014 Uh discovered that Leonardo DiCaprio used to be like very dreamy um, to (laughs) to our music. It was just this like quick, like fan cam vine of Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic. And I think a bunch of people were like, oh my God. (laughs) <laughs> because he was already kind of like 90s Leo. <laughs> yeah right um but wow. that 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 gave us our first like serious itunes check and we took our parents out to dinner um and soon after that we did the singles got it and lips 
with okay. Sai, which was a blog that had written about us a lot. Um, and those got like, got it. I remember got picked up on new music. No, um, on today's top hits on Spotify in like 2014, when it was all incredibly new and we were like, Oh, what is this Spotify thing? I guess this is cool. Um, and it was really off the momentum of that. And, uh, the one time buying that we were able to sign in early 2015, Mm-hmm. And then we put out the Sway EP because they were like, we want to put out something right away now that you're signed so we can really push it. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because the Sway EP has become, and now even now I feel this way. It's like one of our best works in this very like classic body of work that our fans love. And it very much was, they were like, all right, we got to put something out. What do you guys got? And we were like, well, we'll take the best stuff off play. And then we'll add some new songs that are our favorites that we've written recently and just put it all together and throw it out there. And right. it was very rushed and not very calculated. And it's really stood the test of time. Wow. I mean, that's funny because Hype Machine was essentially, if you made it on Hype Machine that at the time or number one on Hype Machine, it was like, you know, that's being, yeah. that's making new music Friday on Spotify now. Or yeah, even, yeah, but it, but it happens so much more organically. So much now is even TikTok is algorithmic. You're right. just like, I hope the algorithm likes us. And there was something right, exactly. really cool back then about being like, all right, there's like a hundred people that can do this for us. And we just need like three to 10 of them. Let's to care. Right. <laughs> let's let's yeah. see if we can get them interested. It's it was almost like, like a different, different way. Submitting your song like demos and tapes to record labels. I don't feel like that's even yeah. a thing, right? Uh, would yeah. if, if I was an A&R for a record label, I would just go and go, okay, this artist they're all just this, on tiktok now yeah yeah you're on tiktok <laughs> and then you go over their instagram and then you're like okay they have this following they've got they've they've built a brand for themselves i'm going i'm going to invest in something that's already working why am i right. going to take a chance on something that's not yeah yeah now that there's, there's there's numbers for everything there's it used to be i feel like there were numbers for sales but those were like industry news like we would kind of know like how many sales like Nelly and Eminem had, but like you only really cared about those types of numbers if they were already huge. And now right. it's like everybody on every stage, everybody can see, all right, what's the follower count? What's the monthly listeners? Like, I don't know if you have enough them. Like it's it's very you think you know everything already. So there's far less incentive to like trust your gut and your taste on something when you can just always go for the sure things. Right. Yeah. It's it's so different especially with tiktok i mean that's like a focus group in itself you can put a song on mm-hmm. there and be like does anyone care well let's see <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally but, uh yeah that's but that that's so crazy that's so cool to get that i mean i feel like there's more validation there for your your project if these you know high ups at hype machine were like oh this is cool like if this if we think this is cool other people will probably think it's cool as well and that's usually what would happen on that yeah well it became this metric for people to be like what's like happening like in the underground of music like what are people excited about and then you had proof if it was charting on hype machine that that Mm -hmm. was the case yeah Yeah. it was really funny too because i remember uh jeremy had done his first remix and i think that was that went to number one on hype machine before one of our songs did. Yeah, oh, I wow. think whis- whiskey, whiskey, <laughs> whiskey, peaked at, peaked at like seven, I think, and I forget how I love it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I was very upset. I was like, "This is unacceptable." <laughs> and then, <laughs> thank God, I think got it 
was yeah. either got it or lips maybe got it because it's released first was the first song of ours to reach number one i was like yes that's so cool <laughs> yeah well when do you sign a, a major label deal like republic i mean especially for you jeremy coming from a, a musical household where your your dad what is this he's an he he was part of the church, right? Is that what you said? Church choir? Or? Uh, he's, he's actually, he's doing a church choir now, but at the time he was doing uh, Haverford and Brimar colleges. He was the, he directed the choir, the choral program there. And also like taught classes and stuff. But to see his son go and make it in the industry is like signing a major record deal was that must've been big for the both of you. Yeah, I think it was. It's, it's a funny thing. Cause it's very much, it's very much the, the the side of music that he had never even touched. Like mm -hmm. he is very steeped in classical music. He's got all these scores. He's conducted orchestras and choirs his whole life um, and knows everything happening in that world. And musical theater was a little more adjacent, but mm -hmm. pop music and Republic records was very like, I think new for him too. And it's been kind of fun for us to both kind of have our areas of music and we come together and talk about it. That's so cool. And and for you, Samantha, you had a degree in music business. Was that you could probably utilize it at that point, right? I mean, you're still fresh and or the the knowledge was fresh. Yeah, I would say in the very early days, like I could I could certainly navigate certain things. I had the general knowledge of what we were looking at and sort of how the process should go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I would say I probably don't lean on it anymore, but certainly starting out in 2013 2014 it was helpful to have she definitely taught me what publishing and master was and how this whole arcane system of <laughs> music <laughs> yeah. ownership and monetization that we have works well that's great that'd be great information to have because yeah. a lot of artists lost everything coming up right they would sign deals and lose every all the rights and yeah there's a bunch of even Bands that were signed to indie labels that were getting screwed when it comes yeah. to that. I was probably overly cautious. I remember actually sitting in an early meeting with Republic and one of the A&Rs. We were sitting in a room together and I was like, don't shelve us. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty. And he was like, that doesn't happen. I was like, I don't know. I've heard horror stories. Like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I think it does. <laughs> don't lie to me. Right. <laughs> I don't want to sign if you're not, you know, going to believe in <laughs> us and, and get behind the project. So, um, and it was it was fine, but yeah, That's funny. And yeah. Well, you made with one time you made it back on to alternative radio, didn't you? Was that the next song that made it onto the radio? Yes, I think so, because that was the big one that they were pushing. One um, time, yeah, one time. Oh yeah, that's the one that's that yeah, yeah, one time. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm I'm from the radio world, and I was working in was I? In, I might have been in San Diego at the time. We we play. I remember playing Marion Hill on our your record on the air. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you for that. that yeah, was definitely. That's so cool. Part of the, I think every artist can, who's been signed can relate to the honeymoon phase. Um, but like when you first get signed, there's this kind of like, let's all do this. And the whole label is really galvanized. And I think it helped that there was already momentum around one time from that vine, but they, the radio team immediately got excited about pushing us at alt radio and mm -hmm. that was a really fun, it, it led to a lot of great shows. Like we're able to play in cities that we never thought would matter, but like Kansas city, uh, the buzz there always played us a lot. And now we have like a built-in crowd of like diehard Marion Hill fans in Kansas city, just because of that. 
Um, and some really cool things have come from like the alt radio communities that supported us. There's the more say, willingness to take a chance on new stuff on alt radio. It seems than I, a lot of I think formats. Kansas City, that station in Kansas City, is like one that is real a real tastemaker station where they will play stuff. You know, yeah. once you get into the yeah. I like well the the station San Diego worked for was independent, but. I used to work for a state uh, alter sta alternative station in San Francisco and they were owned by CBS and it was a lot more like, you know, we're not going to add a record unless we know it's yeah, doing yeah, things yeah. elsewhere. And totally. uh, um, it, it's, I know Kansas city, that station is one, their program director is very hip on just, I'm going to try. I don't care. We'll see what it does. If it yeah. doesn't work, then we'll pull it. But if it, you know, they, they can break so many more bands taking yeah. that approach. And they, I think they relish having that opportunity. I know when we were there, everybody was talking about how glass animals they'd been playing before yeah. anybody else. Yeah. Um, but they really, they really enjoy that and wear it as a badge of honor. And I think it makes sense with Kansas city. They're a city that a lot of people kind of write off and don't think about, but they have a lot of pride and like having their own culture and being ahead of things. Yeah, when I got to the music programming side of the industry at the station I was at, I didn't realize that. I'm like, wow, like this station can't like the the my program director at the time was always like following that station. I'm like, that's like such a small mark, like a smaller market <laughs> in San Diego and way smaller than San Francisco. Like, why are you watching this? And he's like, because this guy takes chances. Yeah. If it's working, then let you know we'll follow suit. But and then we ended up playing uh, down. Also, I remember that as well. Yeah. Thanks. Um, but that song did, I mean, you, you got a platinum record from that. Yep. Yeah. Tell me about that. that. Was, That's huge. Well, so to start the down story, I always will remember we were taking an Uber home from the studio when we were writing act one and the driver asked if you could hear our stuff and we played him one time and down we were like, we'll show you like, one song that's out that the people seem to like, and then we can play you something that we just like made last week. And he like liked one time fine, but mm -hmm. was very like, what was that? What was that other one? Can I listen to that other one again? And we were like, sorry, it's not out yet. <laughs> like, you'll have to, <laughs> you'll have to stay tuned. But it definitely, I remember just like it having that kind of effect early on of just people being like, wait, what was that? I need to, um, we had a feeling it was special and we started our album with it. Um, and we actually had a, I had a big fight with the label because I wanted to put um, this song. I want you at the end of our album. And cause I, I thought it fit really well narratively there. And they were like, we've got to put the singles up at the top because it'll stream better. Um, I held my ground. It was a big sticking point. And then down was the first single didn't it did something but it didn't do a ton and then like a whole full year later this apple commercial thing happened and mm -hmm. everything blew up and now it is by far the biggest song on act one and it's the first track so it all worked out that's so cool that is so <laughs> cool <laughs> and at this point like when you're getting the radio play and and you're you know platinum records are you and doing the radio thing are you getting put on big tours are you especially with the republic are they putting on you with their artists and kind of having you open for them or like how did the the live aspect start i actually don't think republic was too involved in touring okay that was mostly that came through our booking agents um we were with paradigm at the time we were since oh. caa but um yeah they're huge yeah yeah <laughs> but we're with and everyone there's you know everyone sort of shuffled around but um 
Yeah, we definitely did. I mean, Republic put us in rooms with a lot of um, pop radio Mm -hmm. uh, stations and um, we played showcases and things like that. But the touring front was mostly handled through booking. I would okay. say. I think we were really fortunate. Our our manager came from a booking agency background, so we were we were like building the touring thing on on that side of things already. Um, but even before we signed, and when we signed, we were playing more of these alt radio shows and things. But mm-hmm. we we made a point of trying to do our own headlines on our own terms, yeah. and we were able to scale that up gradually in a way so that when down was happening we were doing our biggest headline tour to date and we had a tour bus and we've we've done a few opening gigs over the years we opened for alt j for like a few weeks of their u.s tour that's amazing Um, yeah it was really cool those guys are great they were so nice to us and we all hung out at the end um but by and large, we've done a lot. Uh, we spent a lot less time opening than a lot of acts have. And I think that's, we're really lucky. Yeah, that, that's really I'd cool. Say. We played a lot of festivals, which is closer to opening and that you're playing for a crowd of people that didn't necessarily buy tickets just to see you and you're winning over some new people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we love that. But our our the touring that isn't festivals for us, the vast majority has been headlines. And we're really lucky for that. Yeah. Yeah, we were never a band. Um, that was, It's funny because we were on the road a lot and we were constantly traveling. But if there mm-hmm. were bands, I remember one of the first times we sort of talked to Glass Animals. Um, I think they said they'd been on the road for a year and hadn't been Two home. or three. Two or three. Wow. It might have been, yeah. And we were lucky that we always sort of got to take a break and come home for a minute and then go back on the road um, because we mostly stuck to festivals, radio shows, and our own headlining tour. Mm-hmm. And so we were in, we stayed in control of that schedule for the most part. We were like six weeks max breaks in between, like, let's do the shows that yeah. are important, but let's not run ourselves dry. Right. Smart oh, idea. Crazy. So it's hard to imagine, <laughs> like at the peak, we were, we were gone a lot. So it's hard to imagine, you know, not going home in over a year, but um, yeah. It was, wow. It's wild. And in the next record where you put an EP out again with, with Republic, with Unusual, what would you say like the big highlight takeaway from that record would be? I think, I mean, we were able to do another tour of a similar scale. Touring with a tour bus is one of my favorite things. It's really, really <laughs> nice. Um, this being able to wake up in a new city and find somewhere to get lunch and go on a hike or a walk and, get ready for a show in a really relaxed way is, is, is really great. And I love seeing the country that way. Mm -hmm. Um, We also got to work with boy wonder on the song differently on that album. And he's one of my idols. So that was really special just to get to meet him and hang out with him and learn from the way he works, um, which is definitely so many things I carry with me still. Sure. Yeah. And I think we'd also had our hit with down, so mm-hmm. there is pressure to follow that up, but we actually, I feel like, did a decent job in trying to keep our heads down and and write this album without too many expectations um, and, you know, seeing where the music took us. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, I mean, you just kept progressing and you guys have just been doing that throughout your entire career. Thanks. It's quite amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank um, you. Yeah, the, the record you put out, the EP you put out last year, or no, it's two years ago now, I guess. And uh, <laughs> March 18th. Out, 
Yeah, Who March, anymore? <laughs> March 2020 is when we put that know. out. Right. So tell me about that. So you get this year of the record, you're going to self-release it. It's probably a lot of big plans in the works. And then you put the record out and it pretty much destroyed the same day or, you know, maybe a couple days later, everything. I think it might've been like, I I just, I always remember we, we had planned this. um, We were doing this cool concert at YouTube space in New York where like, I think we had like some type of raffle for fans to come for free. And then it was going to be live streamed and we'd done like a rehearsal and we're like working with the team at YouTube and we like curated, like, they were like, what food do you want to have? And we can do a specialty cocktail. We are like, Oh my God, this sounds so cool. We like coordinated it all. And I remember like the day after the dress rehearsal, Google was just like, yeah, we're not, we're not, we're, we're, we're shutting down like all in-person google events worldwide pretty much and they were ahead of everybody else this is still i remember thinking like oh that's annoying they're being so overcautious like i guess we're gonna have to hunker down for like a month but um then we'll get to do it again or whatever and obviously that that never happened but i think that gave us a kind of like uh is this thing more serious because i I know that like now we know that the tech, um, the tech people were, uh, uh, sorry, we just got a text about something. Um, the tech industry companies were ahead of things (laughs) in terms of how seriously they were taking it. And now if you want to know what's really happening, be like, well, what are Google, what's Google telling their employees? And it's like, yeah, they're never working in person again. And you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it was hard though. It was it was a weird time because 2019 was a light year. It was, 2020 was really supposed to be the year that we did a little tour in support of this EP just to sort of get back on the road and then release our album and you know sort of get back to the grind mm-hmm. and promotion. And we obviously, <laughs> along with everyone, really had to recalibrate. And uh, and now it's been two years you know, really three years since we've done, you know, a longer tour and have been able to um, promote our music the way that we had been used to. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Jeremy and I aren't big on TikTok. <laughs> we're not like, you know, we'll, we'll do the necessary work, but we're certainly not like a social media band per se. I don't think that's where our comfort levels lie in terms of mm-hmm. music promotion. Um, I think we're, <laughs> I'll speak for myself trying to get better at it, but it was definitely hard. We had to, we had to really take a second and, you know, look towards the future. <laughs> sure. <laughs> right. right. Well, over the course of the quarantine, was that, were you working on, were you working on this new record throughout yeah. that time? And yeah. what was that like? Was, I mean, you have some great, you know, features and stuff on the album Were those things that you were able to do in person or like, how did, how did you, how did the record, you know, go? Yeah, a ton of it was finished remotely. I think okay. we we before before the pandemic had been writing a lot, so there was like a pretty big vault of songs that we could kind of pull from. Um, but we definitely went from a place of being like stressed out about how the EP was going to go to being much more in a place of like, uh, like working on this album is like the only good thing in our lives. <laughs> right and <It's> dark. <laughs> I, I think it it motivated um it yeah motive sorry 
uh, it motivated us to to really take it really appreciate it in a new way i think it's easy when you're a band for a while to take for granted um that you're going to be able to do it and then when you can't do anything it really brings things into focus of what's important i also at the start of the pandemic had this weird thing where through home workouts and video games and working a lot my hands started hurting and i've had chronic pain in my hands where i was unable to make music for like four months. And then when I could again, it was like painful and slow. And I actually just had surgery a few last week oh my on my wrist, which is supposed to fix everything and feeling very good about that. But it was a really dark time. And the the music we were making once I was able to come out of that was just like hugely valuable in terms of just like bringing joy into my life again. Mm-hmm. Um, we wrote a bunch of new stuff some new songs that are really special omg which is my favorite single that we've put out so far from the album um and the uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah the i just need to turn my phone over sorry (laughs) um yeah no but i i would agree with you i think you know it's it was a val. It was a hard time. It was really dark because I'm sure every artist struggled. Yeah, and that and takes to like, another. Sorry, go ahead. You know, I was just gonna say, and we had actually never written music away from each other. We'd always made music in the same room. Oh. Uh, so, you know, there were conversations about like, will you travel? Are you comfortable? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I never really left Philly, and he never left New York. So we just uh, made it remotely for the most part. I think there's maybe one or two songs that we had written in 2019 that made the album. Okay. Um, but for the most part. Wow. Everything was done remotely. Yeah. Is that something that you can continue doing or do you prefer doing it in person? I think it's always better to make it in person, but okay. I think we found, and we were lucky that we had such a shorthand leading up to this. So we were comfortable and familiar with the way that we work, of course, but mm-hmm. um, we have still, worked remotely for some of it but for the most part i try to get up to new york or you know yeah he doesn't come here (laughs) he's like i ain't going back home (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, for sure Uh, and i have to get out of here i have to live my life again but (laughs) sure sure wow well jeremy i can imagine that being not only are you in COVID and caught up inside but having your livelihood or basically your career on the line as far as your hand going like i'm glad that they, you're able to get the surgery and and that's going to make it better but man i can't yeah, imagine thanks. that it yeah. was uh it was a really scary time and i really like as if i didn't know but it really put into focus how important me- making music is for me like when mm-hmm. i couldn't do that it was just so quickly i was very depressed because yeah. so much of like what i get up every day thinking about was was gone Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly won't take that for granted again. And I've, I've learned a lot during this year and I think we made some of our best music too, having this, having this new perspective and, uh, some of the, there's some really special records on the album that make, uh, both of us pretty emotional and I'm really proud of. I love it. I love what you guys have put out so far. Um, the newest one, little bit, you want to tell me a little bit, a little bit about that song <laughs> real quick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was, I was really, so at the, Earlier on in the pandemic, we had written enough songs 
that we were like, let's, let's see what we're working with. And we've been trying really hard to push ourselves out of our comfort zone. So there were some songs that we felt like were us like nailing the Marion Hill thing and others that were a lot more like, well, what if we did this? This doesn't feel like the type of thing we usually do, but people want something new from from us. So let's, let's see. And I, I love to do this thing where I uh, put together a playlist of, I think this was like 30 songs probably um, send them to uh, various friends, contacts we have in radio um, and ours we like and trust other artists we know in the music industry and ask them to, to pick their favorites and tell us what they think. And then I tabulate their votes on a spreadsheet and kind of see what we're looking at. Um, and little bit was one that I think surprised both of us and how many people liked it because it felt very different for us. Um, but it was like one of the top four or five songs out of all of those and our new label photo finished loved it. And we were like, all right, sounds like we're taking this one seriously. Cool. <laughs> um, and yeah, then the, the gashy thing came through our labor label kind of later in the process, they were really helpful in helping us uh, facilitate and find some really cool features like uh, baby Tate on that's my type, which was so exciting. We've been following her for so long and gashy. Um, uh, I think he's doing like the album stuff. Actually, we have deadlines. <laughs> Oh, sorry. No, I only no, have one more question. After no, that. no, it's curious. fine. No, it's okay. fine. No, Gashi was incredible and he brought so much. And I don't think we'd ever had, oh, we did work with Big Sean. He did a remix of Down, but um, it was really refreshing to get his take. Mm -hmm. um, and we feel like he added so much to the record that I, I know I didn't anticipate, you know, we heard a little bit. We're like, yeah, it's great. And they're like, well, what about putting, what about having a feature? And, uh, he can't imagine anyone else on it. He's been great to work with and he's so talented. That so is so cool. Yeah. Very, that's amazing. That is amazing. And I appreciate you both doing this. Uh, oh my gosh, of course. People, and thank you so yeah. much again. Uh, one more quick question for you both. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, it, the, the ways to do it are different all the time. So I will get away from that in terms of like put your music here submit to these people i mean right now it's tiktok who knows what it'll be um next year um mm -hmm. but what i something i always hold on to is um i think this actually comes from sondheim funnily enough rest in peace um but he said something along the lines of if you want to really stand out and have a career uh making music you've got to either be able to do the style that everybody else is doing better than anyone else or something that no one else can do because it's so uniquely you. Um, and I really like to encourage new artists to go for the second option there. Um, I really think that's what we, that's how we made our thing is that nobody else sounded like Marion Hill people hear it and they're like, what is this? And they want to check it out. Um, and I, I've always thought that that is a, better and more sustainable path than trying to write a Katy Perry. Well, I guess that's not really relevant anymore. Uh, <laughs> Which is uh, weird, right? <laughs> trying to write a, trying to write a Kid Leroy, trying to write a Kid Leroy or Post Malone song and do it better than those guys can. Well, when, our they're, age. when they're, when they're <laughs> backed by the whole industry, um, you can try to do it and 
artists do break through that way, but it is, I always think much harder than, and less fulfilling than trying to figure out a way to make something that sounds different from anything else that makes people turn their heads. I love that. Yeah. How about you, Samantha? Yeah. I would just say, trust your voice. I think it's, there's a fine line between, I think it's important to surround yourself with people that you trust. And I do think it's important to listen to advice, but at the end of the day, it's your career and no one understands your vision like you. And um, certainly held on to that (laughs) throughout the last eight years, but wish I'd listened to it even more. And um, yeah, trust yourself. 